Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the possessed films of the VHS era. Tonight we're talking about the 1974 German Exorcist ripoff and perhaps one of the sleazier Exorcist ripoffs to come out of Europe, Magdalena and the Evil, also known as the Devil's Female. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, 1973's The Exorcist obliterated box office records on release and still to this day, adjusting for inflation, sits at number nine for the highest grossing films in North America. So it's no surprise that it didn't take long for a bunch of imitators to show up looking to cash in, trying to push the envelope for what was acceptable for uh, cinema screens. You can find 1974's Magdalena and the Evil, which has a ton of alternate titles, including uh, what Luke just mentioned, The Devil's Female, right out of an incel marketing department, but is more commonly seen online as Magdalena Possessed by the Devil. You can find it on YouTube, Spanish dub on archive.org, or DVD for $10. This isn't a hard film to find. Just make sure your copy has an 82-minute runtime, or you'll be missing out on some vintage sleaze. Luke, is this the best of the exorcism ripoffs? No, I don't think so. I, I think it's about on par with a bunch of other ones. I'm trying to think off the top of my head while what all there is. So there's the there's the Italian one, The Tempter, um, which I believe we've both seen. I think that one's fun. Is that the one with the goat? Yes. Yes. I will forever remember that movie. Um, there is one, another Italian one that I, I really like, maybe a little more than, than this we watched tonight, um, called, well, the American title is The Eerie Midnight Horror Show. It was released on Continental in a big box, but I can't remember what the original title is. Anyway, that one that one is uh, maybe competes with this one for like the sleaze factor. I just want to point out this scene. There's a scene where a, a crucifix, a giant statue of Jesus, comes to life and rapes a woman, and it's in it's incredibly eerie and disturbing that's the one thing that sticks out in my mind on that one i also really like demon witch child which i think has my favorite of the titles um but this is the only german one i know of anyway those are some of my the first ones that that jump off the top of my head but uh, i think this one's on par with them most of my uh <laughs> exorcist ripoff experience isn't from like the immediate time period of the exorcist it's mostly from like late 90s to to 2000s and beyond but at that point is it a ripoff seems like it's you know 30 years separated it can just be inspired by at that point yeah and i mean maybe rips off rip off is a bad term like for for this movie magdalena really the only thing it shares in common with the exorcist is that there is a possession right but i think that these European movies were made so quickly after the success of The Exorcist that they were trying to cash in. Like whether they're actually 
ripoff stories or not. Um, that's the impetus for making them. And I'm not saying this is a classy film, but this still is a higher caliber for a ripoff than what you see nowadays for when, let's say you have an Avenger, you know, the Avengers comes out and then there's a bunch of knockoff superhero films that go straight to DVD, video, digital, whatever, that have like one, oh, like 20th of the quality. Like this was back when the ripoffs were at least trying a lot more. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the, I made this a good question. Like besides making money, what do you think the purpose of this movie is? It's been a while since I've seen the exorcist, but I specifically remember there was a struggle between treating the possession via theological means and medical means. And even though that movie was also trying to be shocking and sleazy, there was still a lot of um, real messages that could be picked up from that film. A lot of, uh, you know, great narrative struggles. This film tries to do that to some degree, but it, I think it fails miserably because none of it's fleshed out at all. I, I mean, I don't know if this movie is trying to do anything that high minded. It's directed by Walter Booz, who is most famous for directing the Schoolgirl Report movies, um, which, if you're not oh, familiar, no. are a series of like German softcore porn films centered around schoolgirls. Um, yeah, this this is definitely a softcore, well, soft, soft, softcore porn with a plot. I just, I mean, there's not really any. I don't think there's really any sex in it. There's just a bunch of exploitive nudity in like language. Yeah, I'm still pornographic, but just one party involved. Yeah, so I, I don't know if this is trying to recreate any of the drama or the theological intrigue of The Exorcist um, so much as like show us a young naked girl in compromising situations. But with all that said, um, I have a I have a Japanese VHS of this. It used to be um, I, I'm actually surprised you can find it on YouTube and things It used to be very hard to see. And this was the only way I knew of to get it. I think now it's had a, a Blu-ray release, probably. But the the Japanese VHS, first of all, I don't know if this is a, a mistake or if mine is actually longer than the other cuts. Mine is 85 minutes. That's what it says on the, um, and according to IMDb, the actual official theatrical cut was 82 minutes, I think. But have you ever like sat down with a stopwatch to no. run? <laughs> Just how much? <laughs> no. Apparently on um, some versions were incorrectly labeled 120 minutes, but that's because the, um, the Super 8 version, the original one, was 120 meters not minutes uh and apparently that confused some people so yeah the the official length should be somewhere between 82 and 85 minutes but anyway yeah the 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 japanese tape is awesome it's got um on the front it's got a snake that's all wrapped around our heroine's body uh she appears no less than four times uh nude on the cover um but of course it's it's in japanese so i can't read it to you 
but I mean, I'll post this on Instagram, but uh, I think this is an awesome VHS. The video on YouTube that you can find is basically that VHS, but without the sensor bars. Yeah, so just like all Japanese tapes, there are uh, there's optical censoring over the genitals. So if that really bothers you, uh, seek out some other means of watching it. But yeah, seek out means other than this really rare VHS copy that you'll probably never never see in your life. Yeah, it pops up on eBay now and then. But anyway, it was so it was directed by Walter Booz. We I don't know if that's how you pronounce that, but. Uh, starring Dagmar Hedrick, who um, was in one other film, aside from this one. What Dagmar. do you think of... That's not a name you hear very often. Oh, maybe it's more common in Germany. Sounds anyway, like what, the name of an ogre. What, what did you think of her performance in this movie? You know, this. You would, you would think a film like this would have just absolutely awful acting, but she did a really good job. I think everyone did a pretty convincing job. Everyone yeah. played this completely straight. I think the acting is fine. It, it it's yeah. some it's somewhat hard to tell because the dubbing, but well, her I, expressions, her yeah. body language. She's she's very expressionistic. There's there's a very clear difference between Magdalena and Magdalena when the evil awakens. Yeah, yeah, that's um. <laughs> That we're we're not talking about uh, Linda Blair levels of talent here, but um, yeah, she's serviceable. Oh, that's a really bad word to use for this movie. Yes, um, please. <laughs> she is uh, she's effective. <laughs> All right, I mean, she's oh, only oh. been in two things. This, yeah. this was it. This, yeah. Do you think she was like blacklisted or just had like a bad experience? Maybe just just didn't want to start anything anymore. I mean. Oh, I should have done some research on her before the, the podcast. I don't know if she went on to do something, anything else or not. Um, According to IMDb, this is it. No, but I mean, she might have had a different career, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, let's let me just Google her name real quick. See what comes up. I don't know. I mean, how, how old would you say she is in this movie? Maybe oh, like interview. Interview with her. Uh, I think she's late 30s in this film. You think so? That old? I was going to say like mid-20s. Okay. So there is an interview with someone of the same name talking about harm reduction in drugs <laughs> in Europe. And um, we can just say it's the same person. It's probably not. <laughs> we w I may do some research on her in the future, but I think in this movie, she looks to be about mid-20s. I think it's very possible that she had some career afterwards that was not acting. I could see her being typecast after making a movie like this, you know, being cast in more sleazy horror films. But, it, you know, maybe that's not the direction she wanted to go. Yeah, that would get tiring. Yeah. I mean, she spends at least half of the running time of this movie topless. So... I, I don't know if, if that carries the same stigma in Germany as it does here, but I just could see that, you know, forcing you into a, a stereotype for your films. But in this movie, she's supposed to be like how old? Like 17? 
old enough to be in a live-in boarding school for girls. Yeah. It's which odd. just makes everything that happens to her even worse. Uh, indeed. Yeah, she is of questionable age here. But again, this is from the creator of the Schoolgirl Report films. So that really tells you all you need to know. All right, I'm looking through this guy's other titles right now. Yeah. There's a movie from 1952 called Rape on the Moor. Um, I got to read this out. Okay. In a small German village in the middle of large moors, there is the old legend of a young woman having sunk in the wetland after being raped by a Swedish intruder of the 30 years war. And it just goes on. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess this entire guy's career is all about just making incredibly offensive, exploitative stuff. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it as we talk about the movie, but oddly, is there, this... Is, is there a movie here that doesn't involve rape? <laughs> is there any of them? I don't... It, I mean, I know this movie's really sleazy and um, and exploitive, but at the same time, there's like... It doesn't seem mean-spirited. Like, it almost seems like they're trying to have fun with it. Do you get that impression? Yeah, this seems like it, it's... And is this in slightly better taste than, you know, mind, body, and soul? <laughs> Why would it be in better taste? I don't know. Just does it seem classier? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. No. Yeah, I'm just amazed at how this guy's entire career is based around just exploitative movies. <laughs> all right, let's play the trailer and then we'll we'll get into the story. Magdalena, possessed by the devil. Magdalena's escaped. Did you open the straitjacket? No, she ripped it open. We must find her. Dangerous. No, no, please. Please. Magdalena, possessed by the devil. Enough! Torment me, not! For he had commanded the unclean spirits come out of the man. You witnessed... Her combat with her subconscious? Yes. I put in a request to have Magdalene sized. Mother, you certainly don't believe there's a devil and that he can be exercised by you. You just want me to pass out, don't you? When he was alive, only, only now he's dead. And I despise the dead. A motion picture that pierces the psychic barrier. Do you want to now? A motion picture that will leave you spellbound. Magdalena. Did you find your psyche pierced by the end of this film? <laughs> I was going to say, that's um, that's a loftier ambition than I had um, credited to the film. So maybe it is trying to do some high-minded stuff here. Like pierce the psyche. This is such a role reversal from what we're used to in the previews where you take a film and try to make the trailer as sleazy as possible. This is the exact opposite when you have a film that's just absolutely filthy. <laughs> this movie has some of my favorite lines from a sleazy horror film of all time. And we get one right at the beginning. Um, this guy is following this prostitute out of a bar and he pulls out some money because she says that it's cash up front 
and he offers her $20. And she says, for that amount, I wouldn't even let you smell it. <laughs> and he says, who would want to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is all just a setup so that she can discover a man who has been crucified in like an alleyway. And this turns out to be the grandfather of our main character. But we find out, we find that out a little later. The one thing that I noted during these early scenes is the score. It, it's very like lush and romantic and piano driven. It sounds much more somber and serious than the film around it. Did that strike you? Yeah, we do get a return to this kind of score, though, about halfway through the film, once the medical retreat arc of the plot comes up. <laughs> uh-huh. So there's a there's a side plot running through this entire movie about the police investigating the death of this guy who's been crucified, who turns out to be Magdalena's grandpa. I think this this detective plot is handled really badly. They just like throw in a scene about it at, you know, random points of the movie. It's not integrated at all. No, you it could be completely left out and you wouldn't notice. Yeah, like we we find we find out all these details at the beginning like he had nails driven through his palms and his feet. And we find out some point that the same nails were found in the apartment building of this guy they suspect. And he has a weird claw mark or insignia burnt on his forehead. Um, and there's these scenes of them like asking the landlady about it and, you know, talking to people at the apartment complex. And none of this has any bearing on the movie whatsoever. It's literally a B plot in the middle of your your exorcist film. <laughs> yeah. So let's just jump ahead to Magdalena. So well, let's talk about this intro real quick, right? Okay. So we find grandpa crucified on a door and then uh, we're greeted to a multilingual experience of this German language crawl. And then, uh, of course, Japanese subtitles underneath because we've been we watched the Japanese VHS. But if you're watching this one on YouTube, it's going to be the same thing. Did you bother looking this up at all? Nope. Not at all. Nope. <laughs> all right. I did. <laughs> OK. All right. So uh, this is at least claiming to be quoting either a sermon or like a document of Pope Paul the fourth like just two years before this movie dropped and uh, you can find the transcript online, but after running this through Google translate, I don't think it actually matches anything in it, but the, the sermon, the sermon in question is, is titled confronting the devil's power. And it's about e exactly what you'd expect. You know, the greatest threat of our time, despite all the world's woes is, is the devil, you know, yada, yada. So the, the opener here, according to the online translation, because I don't speak Germanese, is uh, roughly as follows. We are all under a dark rule, that of the devil, the prince of this world, enemy number one. These dark and disturbing beings are real. Page break for dramatic emphasis. 
the devil. That's it. That's it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, German I don't is regret really, not looking it up. German is a really inefficient language, right? Like you have all these giant words, and it'll just be something you can translate into like one noise. Yeah, I used to be pretty fluent at it because I took it for three years in high school, but I I don't remember much. So anyway, yeah, we get that right um, with the opening credits. And then we go to Magdalena. And Magdalena is, I think, she's a student at a boarding school. So whatever age you think makes sense. Um, But she's at a party and she seems like one of the most popular girls there. Like she seems, it seems like her classmates look up to her. But the teachers are trying to figure out how to break the news to her that her grandfather has been found dead. Uh, but as they're discussing in this, we see a scene of him sitting up all of a sudden, like in the morgue. And then Magdalena starts to have some kind of seizure and we hear flies buzzing, which is going to be very important. Um, and one of the teachers is like, is that a fly at this time of year? But Magdalena starts like flopping around the ground and foaming at the at the mouth. And uh, someone is like, should I call for emergency? And the teacher is just like, no, all she needs is a tranquilizer. Like, what is this, America? They don't want to get in an ambulance? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess they're very um, confident in their medical abilities there. But anyway, it's unnecessary because she wakes up and she feels just fine. But she's like... She's is she drenched in sweat? Is that why she's all wet? Or maybe mouth foam? Maybe, but it whatever it is, it has made her shirt transparent, of course. Um, and this should be your first indication that we are gonna get um a large amount of breast footage in this film. Yeah, that's that's about 60% of this movie. Well, we see two of the other students who are getting naked together. And I guess they're a couple. And the one girl says, it's no wonder she passed out. She's so uptight, like a nun. And the other one says, that'll never happen to us as they get in bed together. They really just want to hammer home just how innocent Magdalena be before uh, things really get underway. About yeah, what 15 minutes into the film? Yeah. Well, that very same night, we see Magdalena going down the stairs And she's like kicking something invisible. And she keeps saying, go away over and over again. And it ends up she sees a dog that she's talking to. But we do not see anything there. Um, So we just see a girl in like a shirt, a a short like nightgown, kicking her legs up in the air and flailing around. Or if you're watching the Japanese version, this is the first time you get full glimpse of the censoring. So it's half woman, half Tetris descending a staircase. Yep. And uh, she starts throwing things at the invisible dog, like plates and pots and pans. And she starts attacking the air with a knife and saying, that dog must die. And then she collapses. When Magdalena here gets possessed. There are a lot of times in this film where she seemingly gets Hulk strength. And this is one of the, this is a scene where she actually full blown kicks down a wooden kitchen door. 
Yeah, and she's maybe all of what, like 110 pounds? Maybe. Yeah. But when when they call the doctor, he's like, this sort of seizure can happen to anybody. He says that the next day he'll have a heart-to-heart talk with her and find out what the problem is. And he'll also tell her what happened to her grandfather because the teachers are afraid to do it. This doctor, the- this doctor always has a giant syringe handy, like huge. We're talking about like, like the, the circumference of like two thumbs, like two average thumbs. Yeah, this is has this is all uh, times full of tranquilizer. Well, this is the level of tranquilizer you need when you're possessed by a demon. Oh, maybe that was Italian healthcare in the seventies. You just, yeah, I'll tranquilize and let them sleep through it. Uh, I suppose. I think it's later on that same night that we see her like talking in her her sleep, and she's saying, "You know, what do you want from me?" And she is something rips her nightgown open, and she starts writhing around on the bed, and we hear the the flies buzzing, and then. She starts like humping the bed. I think we're supposed to think that like an invisible person is raping her. Yes. This happens a couple times in the film. So in the course of one night, uh, Magdalena has had a seizure, fought with an invisible dog, had another seizure, woken up in the middle of the night and been had her clothes ripped and is raped by an invisible demon. All of that in one night. It seems excessive, right? I mean, and she jump kicked through a kitchen door. Right. Well, the next day, I think the next day, she's supposed to go to her grandfather's funeral. And she's saying that, you know, she wishes she didn't have to. And the doctor, I think she's talking to the doctor. He says, "Um, but you loved him. And she says, this is one, one, another one of my favorite lines. She says, yes, I loved him when he was alive, but now he's dead and I despise the dead. And then she like scales a stone wall that surrounds the school and hops over it and runs away very dramatically. The footage is sped up to make it look like she did it at superhuman speed. Oh, is that it? I didn't notice. I, I, yeah. it, it was very a very exuberant jump. But so one of the teachers says that she'll have to call and report Magdalena missing. But the other one is afraid they'll put her in an institution if they do that. These teachers at her school are very concerned about like too much being done. I suppose. But, you know, this is this is before accreditation. Right. So they don't really have like the proper training and experience necessary to be able to handle this kind of job. Maybe they're trying to, like, protect the reputation of the school. I suppose, yeah. But then getting her out of the school would, you know, protect the reputation because then she could go ahead and run amok at the insane asylum or wherever they want to send her. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of movies from this period, there is an overt plot about like we can't say anything because it'll bring bad attention to our institution. Um, but now here, if they're saying that at all, it's it's subtle. And I don't think they thought that much into it. But anyhow, so Magdalena goes hitchhiking and she's picked up by this guy and uh, pretty quickly she falls asleep. 
And the guy realizes she's asleep and he turns down this side road, I guess so he can molest her, right? He starts to undress her and um, she wakes up and starts struggling. And he says that she owes him for the ride. But then we hear the flies buzzing and she manages to pry him off of her and break his arm. Like she breaks what his his shoulder and his arm in multiple places. Yeah, he gets messed up. But when the police find her, she doesn't remember any of this. She just says that uh, she got lost. And the doctors are saying, you know, there's no way she could have broken all those bones. I've never seen anything like it. And they're trying to reach Magdalena's um, psychiatrist or they're trying to reach a psychiatrist for Magdalena, but he's away at a convention. But back at the school, we hear some kind of noise coming from the attic. And when the teachers go up there to investigate, all the furniture and boxes and things are moving around on their own. Like a wardrobe collapses and pictures and lamps are flying through the air. I, I, I mean, it's obvious how they did it, but I actually thought this scene looked pretty cool. Kind of looks like a scene right out of uh, like maybe the Haunted Mansion or something like the Disney ride. I mean, it looks like it reminds me of the scene in Poltergeist where um, Zelda opens the door and there's like, you know, furniture flying around and the toys are, are doing things in the air. Yeah, yeah. It's not that impressive, but it it's kind of cool. I mean, this um, whole scene screams more Poltergeist than demonic possession, but yeah, it, I appreciate it. Well, yeah, and Magdalena's been asleep in her bed the whole time. So it can't, they're like, well, it can't be her. So this is, um, do you think this is just supposed to be like showing us random haunting symptoms? Or is there supposed to be some logic to why this is happening? I think it's just random haunting scenes, you know, to try to just, you know, establish the power that's possessing Magdalena. Yeah, it's not I just mean, that, that the devil's affecting her. It's affecting the surrounding area that she's inhabiting. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Because um, I, I, I was think thinking like... Is, I think this scene is also supposed to establish like the, the possibility that these school keepers might not be reliable as witnesses because when they bring the doctor back to the school... They try to show him the room, and of course, everything is neatly put back in place. Yep. There's a, there's a black cat there. It's really like a broken-looking cat. But they're like, oh, the cat must have done it. <laughs> and uh, when they try to go towards it, it, it's really mean. But Magdalena is able to pet it and pick it up, even though everyone's uh, scared of it. And after they blame the cat, Magdalena is like, then who put all the furniture back in place? And she seems to be, you know, possessed by the entity right now. When she picks up the cat, did you notice she has cat eyes when she's speaking to the staff? No, I did not notice that. Are they like contacts? Yeah, they'd have to be. I, I thought it. this was a cool effect. I wasn't expecting something like this. Yeah, I, I, well, I wish I'd noticed it, but that's VHS for you. Hey, um, I noticed it on the VHS. I don't hear that. Anyway, I was going to ask, and maybe this question goes for like all of these possession films, but why do you think the demon wants to possess her? Because she's young, innocent, and hot. 
so it just wants to corrupt her. It sounds like a pretty devil thing to do. I mean, because I'm trying to put myself in a demon's position, right? And I'm thinking, if I possess someone, what would I want? Well, I'd probably want to be undetected and, like, get to live my life doing things, like, secretly. But that's never the case. These demons want to show off and, you know, have all the furniture fly around rooms and, you know, have people throw uh, sexual fits in the middle of the night, like, that it just doesn't seem rational to me, but I guess that's my fault for trying to impose rationalism on a demon. I don't think demons are supposed to be rational. They're supposed to be chaotic. Yeah. Okay. Well, there seems like seems like there would be more insidious forms of evil than uh, just causing mayhem. If you want to split hairs over it, D and D makes the distinction between devils, demons, and devils where devils are lawful evil and more about subterfuge and control and demons are chaotic and more about what exactly is happening to Magdalena this entire film. But of course that has no, you know, historical precedence. That's just what some nerds came up with in the seventies. Well, they probably thought more about it than what's this director's name? Uh, Then Walter booze. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, the action, one thing about this movie, there are no down times. Like this is our second movie in a, in a, in, in a row where the action is nonstop. I would say the action stops when we get to the B plot, but thankfully that takes up maybe 15 minutes of the entire film of the entire 80 minute runtime. Yeah. Well, Magdalena is is naked in her room and she's clearly possessed right now and she's she's telling she's telling everyone to get out you sluts. I don't want to see you again. She says, "I want to fuck." And she lays down the floor and writhes around by while uh, masturbating. And she's just saying, you know, dirty things like, "You dirty whores, put it in." And uh, she attacks her teachers with a knife. She says, I'll slit your fucking throats. And um, one teacher just starts to smack her around in the face. And eventually they hold her down so the doctor can give her a sedative. Again, uh, what, what, how many are we up to now? Like three sedatives? Do you want to have uh, a sedative Maybe count? four. <laughs> I think this is perhaps the most gratuitous scene in the movie. Oh, I think the ghost fucking scenes are are the ones that are up there for me. Okay. That and uh this the, the party scene that we we hit about the halfway mark. But anyway, while she's in this possessed fit, she rips a photograph, I guess of her parents in half. And then when she comes out of the the demonic spell, she's like, "Who tore my photograph?" And she starts to cry like this is really upsetting to her that her photograph was torn. And it was here that I noticed there was a giant poster of a kitten on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Did this did this catch your attention? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of posters in this film. The kitten definitely stands out. Yeah, it's very eye catching. But it's after this that the doctor says he thinks that some kind of obsessive obsessive compulsion. And he says he doesn't want to say anything else because 
then they'll think he's crazy. So it's clear he thinks that something like supernatural is going on too. He just doesn't want to admit as much. So the next day, Magdalena asks the teacher if she can go to church, that she wants to see the priest, Father Conrad. And this is very surprising to the teachers. They're like, really? She wants to go to church like with what's going on? And they're worried that she might you know, have a fit at church. Um, there's there's a lot of um a lot of confusion probably intentional like obfuscation on whether magdalena's actions are actually her or influenced by her possession because you, you got to know as a school teacher that nothing good's gonna happen out of taking her to church you gotta know right well you you're right that you can't really tell if it's the demon trying to be sneaky or if it's actually Magdalena. I, I think it's a mix of both. But in this case, I don't know if it's the demon that wants to go to church or if Magdalena actually wants to go to church. But when she gets there and she meets the, the priest, the, the flies start buzzing. And this, this is my favorite line. Maybe of any movie, any. maybe of maybe wow. of all time. Um, the she looks at the priest and she says, "I want to take communion, but not here in my mouth, down here in my pussy, you dirty nun fucker. When are you gonna screw your housekeeper again?" <laughs> and, and then she collapses. The first time I saw this movie, and I heard that line. I was just dumbfounded. This movie does take to heart the colorful language that's used by the the girl that's possessed. Like, you know, that was a big selling feature of The Exorcist. It was very shocking language at the time. And this movie somehow does dial that part up a little higher, I think, than the original. Well, I think with The Exorcist, a lot of the a lot of the disturbing factor is because it's a child, you know, saying these things. In this case, it's clearly an adult. So if they want to be shocking, they've got to make the language more extreme. You kind of forget she's a child when you have all that makeup on her, though. Oh, in the, in the Exorcist? In the original Exorcist, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's still, it's still Linda Blair there, like, saying those things i think she was 14 when they filmed that movie but she's supposed to be younger but yeah so i don't think there's anything in the exorcist quite to the level of i want to take communion in my pussy dirty nun fucker <laughs> we don't even know if what she's saying is true but you know the seeds of doubt have been planted yeah because the other church congregation was there to see it well we see the the priest giving a sermon about possession of course and magdalena is reading a bible and saying like torment me not and then she she rips the bible in half like that's impressive there's a strong man feat for tearing a phone book in half uh-huh i'd imagine the bible would be like a a bigger indicator of strength but who would do it right yeah, I think it's like a thick leather bound cover and everything <laughs> like just rips it in half. And then and she thousands of pages. And, and and then she 
manages to rip the door open, even though it's got a heavy chain lock on it. And this is a huge wooden door. Yeah. Old historical church wooden door, thick. Yeah. The next time we see um, the, the priest in... No, it's not the priest. The doctor and one of the teachers are out looking for Magdalena. And they find her in the graveyard talking to her grandpa. I don't to, know if to this... be more specific, she is laying on top of the the earth of which the grave is under, speaking into the ground. Yeah, I don't even think there's a headstone. There is a headstone. Is there? Yeah, it has a you know the tombstone. The tombstone itself is kind of styrofoam looky, but uh, th- it just looks like the name was stamped to it using like a a label writer. <laughs> Well, I don't know if this is supposed to be her or the demon, but she's saying, I'll, they'll never imprison me. I'll do anything to get free, even murder. And then she tells the teacher that it's really pleasant talking to the dead, that they answer you. You just have to keep your ear close to the ground. Do you think that the teachers have the right amount of concern here or do you think they're taking this all way too easily i'm trying i'm trying to view this at like the lens of the 1970s right okay i mean it's a very idiosyncratic setting right 1970s germany at a boarding school for girls like do you think that there was a a lot of social programs back then a lot of awareness for mental health I mean, there are doctors and there are uh, there, there are psychologists, but do they really have uh, their was the science progressed to a point that they could really recognize how best to help this woman was mm-hmm. the, ed- the public education out there? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, this was the era of like, the you know, Geraldo Rivera uh, insane asylum footage and you know, when we first began to become aware of the horrid treatment of uh, people in mental institutions. And I don't know if it was the same case in Europe as it was here, uh, but I imagine so. I don't think this this is just 15 years shy of lobotomies. Yeah, this this movie would have been a lot shorter if they just like lobotomized her in the first like 25 minutes and called it a day, sent her back to boarding school. I, I mean, in like now that I think about it, they really do try to emphasize how everyone's struggling to come up with the right course of action because they want to get the psychiatrist right away, but he's gone on a con- to a convention, right? And the doctor is there like all the time at the school. Uh, and the, the teachers are always monitoring her. But I think that I think that they would try to I was gonna say get her away from the other girls but she doesn't have parents so like who are they going to turn to did they establish her parents are dead is that why she has a photo of them in the room okay yeah yeah they established that at the beginning because her grandfather was her only relative and right right he got crucified but anyway the the doctors have all kinds of wires hooked up to magdalena's head and they're running some kind of test but they say that uh she's perfectly healthy so there's there's two doctors. There's um, one is a professor, and then he has an assistant, Doctor Stone, and 
the professor and Dr. Stone decide that she needs to go stay with them at a cabin for a change of scenery so that they can monitor her, I guess. Yeah, it's a mind, body, and soul situation. (laughs) Yeah. The psychiatrist is saying that, this is the professor, he thinks that this is all a reaction to her grandfather's death. And the priest is trying to tell him that, you know, this is something supernatural. And he says, exorcism is purely a theological problem. I'm a doctor and a materialist. And so he insists for the first of many times that he does not want to consider exorcism. Well, why would he? It's hogwash. Oh, yeah. Although he seems um, increasingly open to it as the movie goes on. So we see a whole montage of Magdalena at the cabin with Dr. Stone. And they ride bikes and play ping pong and uh, go horseback riding. And there's a lot of awkward scenes where he kisses her on the forehead or they stare into each other's eyes and almost kiss. They play the piano together. Like, it's basically building up the the magical relationship between, you know, this doctor and an underage girl. Yes, absolutely enchanting. And this is the score returning that I was talking about, the romantic, like, piano recital bullshit that's at the beginning of the movie. And it comes back at this point to indicate this is supposed to be the heartwarming part. <laughs> And it does come across that way if you can forget that this is probably like uh, at least a mid-30s guy who's like falling for a a 17-year-old girl. At least seven, at the most 17. Yeah. So Um, yeah, this this dude and his like Sam Neill haircut totally violating uh, like every doctor, patient, relationship rule on the books maybe maybe it didn't exist back then maybe maybe that wasn't a thing in the 70s well and maybe things were different in germany i don't know i thought it was supposed to be clandestine at first right because they're by themselves but then they're all sitting having tea in the dining room and he just puts his hand on hers yep no they're pretty open about it but there's a there's a oh, you're talking about lack of concern from the teachers still you know, they they don't give a shit about this no no they seem very supportive of it they're probably like well with her parents dead it's about time magdalena found herself a man uh, yeah maybe her hysteria will die down if she gets you know settled up with a with a good man is that it's, what we're getting at yeah it's sexual frustration that's all <laughs> But there's a very strange interlude here um, that I actually think is one of the more interesting parts of the movie where Magdalena goes outside of this, I think it's a restaurant or a bar, and she just flashes this guy. Like she pulls up her top so he can see her boobs. And uh, he comes outside to investigate, I guess, and they, they kiss and uh, she says she wants him to stick it in her all the way. Investigate is a very formal word for what for what you was going up for here. <laughs> yeah. She says, I need it. No questions. 
And he's like, well, do you want to do it right now? And she's like, no, meet me over at the bowling alley in 10 minutes. And uh, he's like, okay. So he goes back inside and then she flashes a different guy. And she takes the other guy. I think they're brothers. They look really similar. They're friends. Because they showed up at the bar together. Yeah. So she takes the other guy to the bowling alley and the two men start to fight over her. She says that the one guy was trying to rape her to the other one. And, and she wants to know who's stronger. And she says the winner gets her. And she sits on the ground and spreads her legs and like writhes around real sexually. And the one guy stabs the other in, a stum- in the stomach with a knife while Magdalena laughs maniacally and then disappears. The 70s was definitely too early for bros before hoes. But like this guy had no reservations before pulling out a dagger and just going to town on his friend. That's what having a naked possessed uh, girl in a bowling alley does to you, I guess. Well, I mean, you can you can think, okay, you know, did these guys basically act on their own volition here under very uh, dubious circumstances? Or did her like demonic aura send out like bad juju waves that uh, affected their decision making capabilities? Maybe something that like drove them more to aggression and they just did not have the willpower to resist. I I mean, it could be either, but I think this is this whole tangent, I guess, about the, the friends fighting one another for her. I think it's one of the more effective parts of the movie. Like it's one of the parts of the movie where she's actually doing something that's that's a- actually evil, right? She's not just messing with people or like throwing furniture around um, or, you know, saying dirty things to the priest. She's actually getting people to kill each other. So Good I thought this classic demonic scheming. Yeah, I thought this was pretty effective. There's one more thing I want to mention. Yeah. So like for this scene, when she, in in general, when she's like writhing around, it's framed like it's supposed to be seductive, but it just looks really inhuman. I feel like that was really intentional. You're right. It's a strange mix between like seductive and animalistic or bestial. Maybe that's a better word. But yeah, it's more, it's more disturbing than sexy. Hey, maybe you got to be there in the moment to really see what these guys are seeing. It's also difficult because we're supposed to be imagining that she's a teenager, but she's clearly an adult. So like if she actually looked like a teenager, then this would be especially disturbing. I like how she just vanishes at the end. Yeah. <laughs> With the echoey laughter. Yeah. <laughs> the The next morning as he's getting arrested, the guy who stabbed the other guy sees her and clearly recognizes her but he doesn't say anything i think we're i think it's supposed to be like him questioning himself like did he really see it or not or he listened to his defense attorney and just decided to shut the fuck up (laughs) yeah probably or maybe he's beset by guilt and he just wants what's coming to him that would have been a better b plot than this uh, murder investigation 
Yeah, I mean, my problem with the murder investigation isn't that it, it happens. It's that it's just thrown in randomly throughout the movie. It has no bearing on the rest of the story. It doesn't help us learn any important information or anything. But anyway, back to the, um, the, re- the, the budding relationship between uh, Magdalena and Dr. Stone. At one point, they're out riding bikes, and she just tells Dr. Stone, one day I'm going to tell the professor that you tried to rape me. And if, if I had an underage girl say that to me, that would be that would be the end of it. I would be like, yeah, I can't stay here anymore. Yeah, but it's the 70s. Yeah, he doesn't seem phased. All right, okay. So obviously he is a scumbag, but maybe we can give him some benefit of the doubt. If she has a behavior-affecting aura and can get one man to stab another man, maybe she can target somebody to specifically show too much affection to her. Maybe he's under a charm spell. Okay. That could also just be an apologist <laughs> excuse for his sleazy ass behavior. Hey, I, I we can never know. We can right. never know. Well, well, maybe we can find an interview from uh who wrote the script? <laughs> from August Riger. Yeah. I'm not going to look too hard. I like the ambivalence. Anyway, at one point they're playing ping pong and she suddenly bends over the table and like tries to look very sexual and they make out, but then she laughs at him and runs away. So we we just keep seeing normal stuff that they're doing, even though she's acting this way. He he doesn't seem too phased. No, the, the point we're trying to make here is that this guy is wearing pussy blinders and ignoring all of the red flags, all of them. Well, the professor comes to see her and he wants to put her under hypnosis. But the priest says that he put in a request to have her exercised, but he was denied. And he gives the professor a Bible and he says this is for when science doesn't have the answers. Before we get to the hypnosis, though, we see Dr. Stone walk in and Magdalena is playing the piano naked. And they start to make out, but then she starts to strangle him with her scarf until she hears someone coming and she runs away. There's a lot of uh, Magdalena just randomly running away in this movie. You would think this would end their relationship. Right. Yeah, there are so many moments where you would think, yeah, this is his breaking point. But no, the professor comes in and asks if anything's wrong, and Stone is like, nope. Everything's fine. Does he not want to admit being intimate with her? Like, is that is that something that would break the professor's trust or arrangement? I don't get it because, again, he was like holding her hand at the at like a public gathering where everybody could see. Yeah, maybe there's an acceptable level of like lechery and he doesn't want to go across that the, the, the red line. Well, he he hits his breaking point pretty quickly because that night she goes to his bedroom during the night and invites her to come to his to her room. And uh, he he tells her that he loves her. But then the flies start buzzing and she starts yelling, help me, help me. And she runs naked to the professor 
as if Stone had been trying to rape her. And so when Stone comes out, he tells the professor that he's leaving in the morning. I would have left way earlier. So anyway, now we're to the professor's or the um, hypnosis scene. Uh, it is incredibly easy to hypnotize people in this movie. I feel like that's a common theme in 70s films in general, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in this movie, it seems exceptionally true. She, While she's under hypnosis, he says things like, you know, you'll, you tell me everything I want to know. Um, and he asks what her name is and who she is. I think she she's talking in some strange, you know, foreign voice. Like, is this Latin or is it just gibberish? I'm I'm mostly used to reading Latin, not hearing it, so uh, I can't really help there. Maybe it's supposed to be like mock Aramaic or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we're giving the film too much credit. Maybe. Is it more impressive to find some uh, random Latin phrases or to make up your own gibberish? You know, there's probably an art to making like good gibberish, good sounding gibberish. So maybe that's more impressive than doing some research into random Latin phrases. Yeah. Anyway, he wakes her up, but later she starts talking in her sleep and she's much clearer this time. She says, I am Balthazar. Is this like a famous demon? No, that's one of the wise men. Baldazar is? Pretty sure. One of the three wise men. I didn't know their names were in the Bible. One of the biblical magi, along with Caspar and Melchior, who visited the infant Jesus after he was born. All right. You can see how much my Bible classes as a kid like paid off. Um. But she talks in a bunch of different voices. Do you think that we're supposed to believe that she's possessed by like a lot of different demons? I didn't get that impression, but maybe they're pushing it and I just didn't notice. I mean, this is this is a thing. Like I know some of the demonic possessions in the Bible are described as being like possessed by many. And right. Like we are legion. Yeah, exactly. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the case, but uh, in different voices, she says, Yes, I am. I am Balthazar. I have characterized and children. I have been murdered. And I have even murdered many. <laughs> Yes, I strangled my husband's mistress. Yes, it was I. And nobody ever discovered me. Yes, I did. I took her body and I flung it over the cliff. She's still lying there, rotting away. (sighs) Now my spirit has, has returned eager for revenge. 
drank her blood and sucked the marrow out of her. And her body lasted for sex. You couldn't find it. He committed sodomy with hogs and beasts. And then came the day I took a knife and cut off his testicles. She strangled me and crucified me to the door of my house. Ash Wednesday, day of sackcloth and ashes. Joseph Winter. Ah! You have tortured me long enough. Now you will die, you whoremaster. Do, do you find all this, like, do you find this scene effective? Like, is it creepy to you? Not particularly, but I don't think I'm necessarily in the audience to creep out. Um, the target audience to creep out for the for this kind of film. There, there are movies with scenes like this that I think are creepy. And I mean, the, the one that stands out is The Exorcist 3. I've only seen the first one. Oh, man, you need to see the third one. The second one's crap. The third one is amazing. It Brad Dourif is the guy who's possessed. Um, he, he's, he does the voice of Chucky is probably how most people know him. But he's, he's an amazing actor. And um, there are lots of scenes of him talking in different voices. And actually, it's a long story. We'll, we won't get into it this episode. But he's actually played by different actors. Um, and they're blended together. And it's very effective. Like, that movie has very frightening scenes. But anyway, in this movie, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. It's, it's not it's not creepy or frightening or anything. Maybe it would be to somebody. I don't know. Maybe it was effective in the seventies. Well, you, you gotta see exorcist three. It's, um, it's a very good film, but anyway, she tries to strangle the priest, but the others pull her off him. And uh, moments later, she seems to remember nothing. She does uh, invoke her, uh, dead grandfather's spirit at the end. Yeah. And, and then this, um, later that night, we get another one of the, the ghost rape scenes. This scene is incredibly like disturbing and gratuitous and ridiculous all at once. Like the demon puts her in different positions and everything. I mean, does the first time too. Yeah, this one seemed more, it's longer, I think. It is. But I think this, these are the two most exploitive scenes in the whole film next to the, the knife fight goading scene in the on the walkway have have you seen the entity i don't believe so you should so the entity is about um it's it's supposedly based on true story and it's about a woman who is haunted by a spirit that just repeatedly rapes and sexual sexually assaults her and it goes on for like her entire life and just every night, she has no idea if she's going to be raped that night or not. And it's not filmed in an exploitive way. Um, it's actually filmed in a very serious, effective way. But the concept itself is very disturbing. Um, that's probably the, like, if you found this unsettling, like, the entity is, is pretty intense. I have definitely never seen this. Yeah, I, I actually recommend you watch it. It's, um, it's a good... It, like it's got some silly parts, but 
if you like 70s based on true story haunting type movies, it's a particularly effective one. But anyway, back to Magdalena, uh, she goes to kill the professor in his sleep with a knife because we're led to believe the spirit or the demon asked her to do this. Uh, But Stone stops her. I thought Stone was leaving, but he's still here. He said he was leaving in the morning. Did uh, did morning ever come? Did they? I, did this I, whole thing happen overnight? I, I'm not sure. Uh, it's kind of confusing because the next day she's in a straitjacket, and Stone is back, and he says that he came to see Magdalena, that he wants to take her away with him, and it seems like he's been gone a while, but I think he was just there the day before. Yeah, and you know what? The whole demon possession talking scene happens in uh, daylight. The the windows have day in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, well, Stone saw all of it, and he tells the professor about it and that it looked like she was being raped. But before they can, like, continue this conversation, they run outside because she is she set this pile of firewood on fire and now she has an axe and she says that she'll kill them all with the help of the devil and the professor hypnotizes her on the spot easiest hypnosis ever i didn't even know you could hypnotize a demon but the demon is clearly in control of her he just hypnotizes her with blocking his gaze yeah he's basically like look into my eyes you're gonna be hypnotized again and and she is standing up in a better film i think uh she would have just hatcheted him in the face <laughs> yeah i mean that's how this should have worked with an all-powerful demon but anyway he asked her to remember her first prayer and to say say it say the words of your first prayer and she starts off with like you know the lord's prayer in the name of the father son and the holy ghost and then she abruptly vomits up a snake and Dr. Stone steps on it and kills it, and then it disappears. And yeah. that's the exorcism. Trigger warning. It's a real snake that gets stomped to death. It does look like a real snake, yep. It, it is. That is totally a real snake. And uh, the professor is like, yeah, there are more things between heaven and hell. And, and then that's the end. Easiest exorcism ever. She seems fine, and we see her and Stone make, you know, love eyes at each other and then walk away into a field. While he's cradling his hatchet wound. Yeah. What do you think of this as an ending? Pretty bad. This is a pretty bad ending. <laughs> it's, it's almost like they just ran out of time or money. Yeah, that's, that's what it feels like. Like, I'm, oh, God, look at this, this filming schedule. Well, let's wrap it up, guys. Yeah, kind of like this podcast a lot of times. it it just feels incredibly anticlimactic hypnosis snake vomiting stomp on the snake end of story and of course she recovers no problem gets right up walks walks out with her new husband lover into a peaceful green meadow yeah she uh, this is her graduation her marriage her exorcism, like all at once, happily ever after. In fact, I think the very next scene, they kind of just drop the whole hatchet wound thing and he has his arm around her as they 
walk past a, a small uh, roadside shrine. So maybe I'm asking for too much logic, but my understanding... Oh, well, clear, clearly what happened is between shots, they gave him a tranquilizer and he just sort of slept off the hatchet wound. All right, I'll take that. That's not what I was going <laughs> to ask about, though. Um, if I'm If I'm trying to figure this movie out logically, I think yeah. that the story is... The grandfather is possessed. He's crucified by the guy who ends up being arrested. Somehow that crucifixion leads to the the evil spirit possessing Magdalena instead. But then in order to be killed, it comes out of Magdalena in the form of a snake and gets stomped. There doesn't seem to be continuity of methods there like are there some spiritual rules that i'm not being aware of that this should follow i'm pretty sure that during the demonic multiple voice possession scene the grandfather when he's invoked mentions that a woman crucified him so that means the police have the wrong person well he never he always said he wasn't the killer Right, we skipped over it, but there's a scene where he just randomly jumps over a balcony. Yes, to get out of police custody, he decides to just end it all by jumping down a really, really long staircase. Yeah, as we said, this whole subplot with the police and arresting a guy it's like... Really, it's really not mentioning. It's, it, it's not worth mentioning. It goes nowhere and it has no bearing on the story. Uh, we're getting into reviews. Go ahead, give your final thoughts and a rating out of four. This movie might be best left in the past. I mean, as as someone who specifically loves possession films, I guess you're going to be right at home because it hits all of the, the same notes that all the other ones do. It just does it in a, a much less tasteful way. Uh, you have Dagmar, you know, being exploited like the entire film in so many different ways. Man, I don't, I don't really have a review ready for this. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, we've kind of said it all. All right. Let's look at this movie as a whole. It's a exorcist ripoff that's trying to cash in on what the t- at the time was a massive horror movie phenomenon. In the middle of this in- exorcist-inspired plot, we have a B-side involving a murder investigation that basically goes nowhere. It really concludes with a otherwise tough-as-nails, worldly, secular police officer maybe conceding to his partner that there was a deeper, darker power at work. That, that, that is the best way to sum up like the 20 minutes of this film that takes up the, the subplot. There isn't any consistency with the mechanics or lore involving the actual exorcism, but you know this—it's the '70s. This wasn't when when a uh, you know creating a sci-fi film required you to make like a 60-page universe in the background for nerds to slobber over, right? Uh, you're not really going to get that level of detail based on this director's previous work. This is clearly just supposed to be like exploitative cash grab. I don't think it's supposed to be aiming for anything higher. But that doesn't mean there is th- that this film is devoid of like anything 
you know, valuable, I guess, valuable is that a word that, that could be used for this movie in any context. The dialogue is something that is memorable, especially with, uh, again, Luke's favorite line of any movie of all time with uh, communion wafers. I said, this isn't my genre per se. This doesn't really, this doesn't really uh, hit any of my particular tastes, especially strong. Uh, I I'm going to, I mean, I got to why I really wish a demon would just possess me and tell me what to say. Like I'm fucking worked. I'm, I'm speechless. I, it's kind of, that's kind of a fair reaction. I don't know how you rate a movie like this. How do you rate a movie like this? Right. I mean, like it's clearly accomplishing what it wanted to. Yeah. Okay. Accomplish what it wanted to. It's exploitive. It told a story. Um, it showed off Dagmar. She seemed pretty into it. I mean, we just got to go with what's on film. She didn't do anything after this, though. So who knows? Maybe this film left her with like a, you know, inconsolable trauma and she went off to do something else. No idea. Is she still alive? I don't even know. Is she? Dagmar? Apparently still alive. She was born 1935. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. So then how old was she in this film? Uh... This movie came out in 1974. So what's 74 minus 35? 39? Late 30s. I told you. She's late 30s. Yeah, well, she looks very good for late 30s. Yeah, she looks great. Um, here, here's the, the main struggle I'm having. Is this better than Mind, Body, Soul? I don't think it is. Yeah, it's, it's like on par, right? Yeah. So yeah, all right, one and a half stars. So that's what I gave that. Yeah, I really don't know how you rate a movie like this because um, so we use Roger Ebert's four star scale, right? And Ebert always said like he judged a movie based on what it was trying to do. And if you judge based on what this movie's trying to do, um, I don't know if it made money or not, uh, but I, I think it succeeds at being an exploitive, sleazy european exorcist ripoff and in some ways of this genre and i i mean i think i've seen most of them out there um this is one of the ones that stands out the most uh but it might just be because of lines like the communion one that we mentioned like it's got some wonderfully sleazy what the fuck moments that qualify it for this podcast but they're kind of few and far between like i wish there was a lot more of them i'm gonna give it two stars i think that's, that's, prob fair. that's probably fair you know this this yeah. probably is better than mind body soul even if it is more exploitative just because it feels like more effort went into the writing uh, i don't know about that this has much better dialogue that has anyway, to be worth it, something if if you if you are a fan of possession movies and or like European sleaze movies or German horror in particular, you should see this. You'll get a kick out of it. I don't know if you'll want to watch it more than once, but it's worth seeing. So that's it for Magdalena and the Evil. Next week, we have a very special or, or not so special treat, depending on your tastes. Uh, we're doing Criminally Insane, also known as Crazy Fat Ethel. And uh, it's shot on video sequel, Crazy Fat Ethel 2. These uh, are directed by Nick Millard, 
who had a very special career uh, featuring these as well as Satan's Black Wedding um, and the Death Nurse films. They are incredibly low budget, um, but I have a real, real soft spot for them. I remember renting Trimly Insane back, you know, from the video store uh, when I was a teenager. And um, it was one of the first movies I saw where it really caught me off guard in terms of like, what the fuck am I watching low budget insanity? So, yeah, Leland, I'm really curious to hear your your thoughts. I would be lying to say I'm looking forward to it. You should. You should look. It, everyone should look forward to experiencing these movies for the first time. Um, I'm really glad that I can <laughs> subject you to that privilege. All right. So if you have not seen these films, uh, check them out. Criminally Insane 1 and 2. And we will be next week. Uh, be back next week to talk about them. They're the on meet- YouTube if you want to suffer with me. They are on YouTube. Yep. And they're just an hour each. So not killing a bunch of time. With all that said, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything that we do. Uh, Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. All right. And join us next week for Criminally Insane. Thank you.